welcome to Real Care Fetish Talks Real Care Play. This is season three's final episode, and today we are actually in London. So, but my guest is a different place in London, and I'll just bring him in. Hello, Antoine. Hello. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Okay. Yes. Brilliant. Hello, everybody else. Yeah. It feels like you're underdressed. Oh, well, this is the season final. So I was just like, you know what? Um, in the other episodes, I've mentioned this before, I was doing a RuPaul and just had trackies at the bottom of me. But today I would dress up. Oh, no. I mean, like, I've gotten the full hog. Hold on a second. Let me show you. Let, let, let's see what you have on. Let me see if I can show you. I've, well, not the full hog, but I'm like the lazy hog. So I'm in a rubber surf suit. Oh, and I'm not wearing like sneaky bottoms. I've actually got my favorite Adidas trainers on as well. So I, I had a request from somebody. <clears throat> if you're on, you have to wear your favorite sneakers. So I literally listened to the request and I've got my favorite sneakers on today. Fabulous. So, Fabulous. Yeah. Well, now, so, I, now I need to show as well, don't I? <clears throat> yeah, I'm not doing a brew. And I also have the trousers on. Oh, well done. <laughs> so, uh, but let's let's get stuck in. I start yeah. my episodes with uh, four standard questions. Um, answer as much as you're comfortable with, of course. Okay. Um, I mean, just so I guess everybody else knows as well. I have no idea what the questions are. So fabulous. That makes it more fun. Yeah. But that also that leads me to the question: Have you not watched my podcast? <laughs> well, I watched one, but I wasn't quite sure because when you talked to me about doing it initially uh, and you sent me the link to watch, I'm like, okay, I do one. But I didn't watch more than, so I didn't know whether or not you were asking everybody the same series of questions. Same, same four questions each episode. Oh, uh, if I had only it's known. A little bit, little bit of structure. A little bit of structure. Yeah, but it's okay. I think it's nice to be a bit on the spot and a bit more spontaneous rather than rehearsed. So Absolutely. I think that's Absolutely. okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So the first question is what do you prefer i call you names titles and pronouns very interesting considering we recorded a podcast yesterday and on the podcast one of the topics that came up was pronouns okay. um it was a very hot topic and i'm sure it's one that's going to continue later on and for pronouns unhappy with he him i mean Any you, can titles? Even, you can even you can even call me she it's fine you can call me she, but he, him are my basic pronouns. Titles, no. I'm, I'm super easy in my identity as far as this is concerned. By my name, Antoine, he, him is perfectly fine. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, we get a little bit caught up in titles sometimes, I think. Yeah. No. I'm super, let's make it easy. Nothing <laughs> to try to remember. Fantastic. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, first tell me, what should I call you? What pronoun should I use for you? Oh, I'm he, him. Uh, Very good. Okay. And all depending on the scene, whatever you call me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very, 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 very versatile. <laughs> with, I've, I've been called everything underneath the sun, I think, at this point. Um, here, here. But yeah, he, him, at least. Um, yeah, okay. So yeah. But yeah. tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm guess most most people that uh, are watching this would probably know that I work for the company that builds the Recon app and website. I'm the brand events um, producer. Um, I come from an arts and entertainment background, something a lot of people probably don't know. I was a professional dancer, choreographer, singer, actor, teacher for more than 25 years. Um, and I have a undying love of the arts. It's something I don't necessarily do anymore. Most of my dancing takes place in the kitchen nowadays. My singing takes place in the shower. Um, thank God no one else can hear me, but except the neighbors and they don't complain and so that's okay. But the, yeah, the arts will always be my first love. I also played flute, clarinet and saxophone quite proficiently as well. Um, my granddad was the conductor of the National Youth Orchestra of the Palmas and I also played so uh, from five years old. Um, I lived in London for a number of years before I, uh, did I say that again? I lived in New York for a number of years before I came to London for about six years. I lived in Germany for a bit and Canada for a bit, but London is home now. So this is my 22nd year in London. It's definitely home. I can't imagine living anywhere else right now. 
I'm I'm the same. After twelve years here, I, I, it would be very weird to move away. Yeah, um, I would I would have to have a very good reason, like a really good job or an amazing man or something. Yeah, one or the other or a combination of both would be both, sufficient. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I should really remember these questions by now, but I don't because my brain doesn't work. <laughs> uh, completely sober, clear-headed or social drinker? I'm a social drinker, although right now I'm on water. Coke Zero. Which is good. But I'm Fantastic. a social drinker, yeah. Uh, what is clear play to you and why is it important? I think clear play to me is extremely important i'm not a fan oh i probably have to get super personal here i wish i'd li listened to the questions beforehand <laughs> i think you maybe go as personal as you feel comfortable with it's I all about little, being comfortable yeah i think a little bit of back history maybe i've had a number of people very close to me at a very young age that have had problems with addiction of one type or other um, and having to see a number of people through therapy, including um, a very, very close family member. Um, and that has made it for me an important factor into why I think for me, Claire Play is essential. I think I can't speak for other people, but personally, if I'm playing or having a session with someone, I want them to be clear-headed and clear-thinking, because this, to me, puts them in a much better position to be consensual about whatever type of play we're about to engage in. Of course, for safety reasons, you have your protocols beforehand. You discuss the rules and the parameters, and you have things like safety words. But I think sobriety is really important when it comes to the types of play that you want to engage in, especially when you're talking about fetish play. Mm -hmm. um, I have once or twice many years ago thought, okay, maybe I will make a concession and attend somebody else's party where they may have been under the influence of something. And I've never seen it end well. It's, all, it, it's always ended not well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think on the other hand, as an events producer, you know, we have a responsibility to people that come. So I have also seen the side as an organizer of someone who has come out and maybe had a little bit too much fun. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not scheduling or timing their party favors correctly enough. When the ambulance comes and is dealing with that person behind the scenes, the general public don't really get to see what happens at the back end. And I think if you see this, if you experience this once or twice, um, I think it only really takes the once for you to understand how important um, clear play actually is. Um, I made a promise to myself some years ago that I would not engage in play with anyone that was not clear headed at the time. Um, and I'm really happy that it's a promise that I have not broken to myself for many years. Um, and, you know, it's also down to the fact that if I meet someone and I want to take them home, I can't justify introducing them to my family member, knowing that, you know, I've had one or two family members who have struggled with addiction, but here I am with somebody else who's basically, yeah. you know, living it as their life. I don't judge anyone. I have friends that that aren't always clear, that don't always play clear-headed, and it's fine. I sometimes have to go the difference of, um, go the distance of, you know, being the, I give them the parental warning, the daddy speech before you go out, you know? It's like the daddy speech before the prom. You have yeah. a time schedule, you have time to be home and do this and do that, 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 that. And I tell them, if you die, I kill you. So I'd rather you <laughs> I'll not. I'll revive you and then I'll kill yeah. you again. Yes. If you die, I kill you. So, you know, I think it's, I don't judge anyone. If they're going to engage, I'd rather they be on themselves, um, responsible. But personally, I am very much someone who strongly stands for my fetish is always, uh, you know, if my play is clear, I don't want anyone intoxicated or overly intoxicated, or especially on any kind of... Um, you know, chemical enhancements or drugs or party favors. It's not my scene at all. It's, it's always very interesting because people would assume that because I do the job I do, that I imbibe. And they're always shocked when I tell them that I don't. Um, and I'm sorry to disappoint people if they are disappointed by it. Some people are. They tell me that, you know, someone has even gone the extent of 
calling me, you know, the P word. Oh, you're a, because you don't uh, party and play. And I'm thinking, well, if that's what you think. It's fine. And we don't ever need to meet up or play together. And it's, you know, you do you, I do me. You know. it, it, it's funny with, with the chemsex stuff or drug taking. I was, when I moved here or just before I moved to London, I was at the other end of the spectrum. I was very against it. It, it always ends in addiction and death and and destruction. Then I moved here and my, my, my opinions moved with me. Um, yeah. And then, of course, as you know, it ended up in, in quite some mess with me. Um, and now I'm, is it, oh God, I have to think now, four years sober, I have to think. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting to the point now where I'm losing count. Um, but it, it's, it's, now that I've come out of on the other side, I, like you, I don't judge people on their actions, but I will go, well, this is what happened to me. Yeah. And that's, I think, at least when you get to um, a certain, not age, but experience, you should use that experience to educate others. Absolutely. You know, it's sometimes it's again, you know, going the route of having the really hard discussions with your friends, especially with close friends. It's like, listen, I'm your good friend. I'm your best friend. I'm a close friend. If you are having problems and you're in need, you call me. I'm there mm -hmm. for you once, twice, three times, maybe. After three times, I'm sorry, you call the ambulance. Yeah, there's, there's only so many times the boy can cry wolf before yeah. you kind of yeah. like, okay, I've tried, yeah. I've listened, but you are a broken record by now. Uh, yeah. and, and I think when, it's, it's such a hard one because you see your friend struggling and you really want to help, uh, but they need to want the help, not just someone to bail them out every time. I think that's the first part and it's even needing to want the help and it's, it doesn't matter whether they're in their minds or in their everyday life, a social user, or if they have a real, um, a genuine problem with addiction. Mm. You cannot help them until they, one, can acknowledge that there is an issue, that they have an issue which they can't control mm. and that they need help. And it's great when they get to a point where they can acknowledge that they need help, but the next step is also to be willing to accept the help from the friends and the people that love you, the friends and the people that genuinely care about you, that want to see you well and that want you to do well. Um, it's amazing when they get to that point where they're willing to accept your help. Yeah. It definitely took me a couple of years to kind of get to that kind of rock bottom or kind of epiphany moment where it's like, shit, I need to do something here. Yeah. And that was on almost of the verge of people giving up on me. Um, yeah. So it, it's 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 quite it's quite difficult and it's not easy. I, I couldn't imagine as um, we've had conversations about this before, where I've like when you're organizing events, I I've 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 suggested like non-alcoholic drinks, a little bit more welcoming situation because a lot of like sober people when they go to parties, not recon, you, you're really good at it, um, uh, sorting out non-alcoholic drinks or beers and stuff like that. But most fetish parties don't really think about that. And, and all no, of a sudden, they don't. You, you're stuck on soft drinks all night. And sometimes you just want a bit of something else there. Yeah, I, yeah. I know that there is a very divided camp on this issue. And yeah. it's very interesting because I had a conversation with someone else today who is on the path to becoming sober. And they were telling me just today you know, that they very often had an issue with the concept of, um, you know, when they came to London, went to the supermarkets and you could buy non-alcoholic beer, you could buy non-alcoholic gin. And for them, it was almost an all or nothing. There was no gray area. It was almost like, well, the taste of the two similar might create a temptation or might create an urge. And so they rather avoid it altogether. And I think it's really great when somebody realizes that they are still at a point where they need an absolutely clear cut, a clear line, a clear divide. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also appreciating that different people um, are at different points in their road to 
recovery or on their road to actually being um, at a point where they're comfortable with their clarity and their play or their clarity in their in their life and their everyday life and how they do this Absolutely. Um, and how they deal with it. And it's also, you know, the temptation. You go out to a fetish party or any event and everyone's around having a drink and having a laugh and having fun. And you think, well, my water looks a bit dull. So what do I do? It's, it's challenging. I mean, you have been at it now, you said, for four years. Claire, how do you handle that kind of pressure when you're out and about? Uh, sometimes I don't. And, and then I'll just have to go home. Um, and, and that's just accepting that that's happened sometimes, that my head is not there. And um, if I'd known in my 20s, if I'm having a shit time, I could just go home. Oh, my God, that would have been a deal, like a fucking change of course because I would always force myself to stay longer than I wanted because now I've spent the money, I have to stay and enjoy it. Um, but to be honest, it's just fucking money. Just go home if you're not having a good time or at least have a safety net at that party and just like someone to check in with. I just want to point out to someone who made a comment, uh, well done on your six months, that's amazing. Um, it's a very big question you're asking. So drop me a private message and I'm happy to have a, a video conversation with you or um, just writing if you feel more comfortable with that because it's, that's a very long um, discussion to have with this person. Um, so, but well done in six months. But yeah, it's, 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 it can be difficult. Sometimes I struggle and sometimes I don't. Um, for the most part, I'm okay. Um, I've gotten to a point now where fetish and drug taking is separate. Um, do I get points where I have a bad day and I'm triggered and certain things can trigger me um, if I see certain things? It's quite hard for me, especially with COVID going around, because the news have a tendency to show people getting the jab quite a lot. Yeah. And I used to inject. Yeah. And it's such a huge and it's a trigger. trigger. I, I, I can imagine. Oh, that's my, that's my, the biggest pain with this whole yeah. fucking COVID thing is they keep showing footage of people getting injected. I know it's not the same, but trust me, the free jabs I've had of uh, the COVID vaccine, every time I, I'm just like kind of, is something going to happen? <laughs> but I think it's, it's important that people understand that different things are triggers for different people. What may not be a trigger for them doesn't necessarily mean that it shouldn't be for you, but it's kind of knowing it, acknowledging it and trying to understand why those triggers are or where the triggers exist and then how we can kind of cope or manage or deal with them to help when we can or to facilitate when we can. I mean, before you made the comment to me some years ago about having non-alcoholic beer at a bar. Mm. It was something that I just always took for granted. I, thought, yeah. I, I always took for granted and I will definitely apologize for that now and say that that was maybe, it, well, I think as an organizer, we have a responsibility to think about more than just the few. We have to think about the many. It's not always possible to understand what everyone wants, but we cannot give people what they want unless sometimes they tell us what they want. Mm. Yeah, and if we can facilitate it, then that is a good thing. I think it's very easy to assume that everyone who is sober or clear that comes to a party will be happy with Coca-Cola, orange juice or water or cranberry juice. And we now know that this is definitely not the case. And the thing is, there are other alternatives we can give so people actually have a good time and feel good about their space. And it might make them a little less self-conscious if they're also having something else. It's something that's very easy to provide. So if you can do it, then why not do it? Well, it's, it's the same. Yeah, there's definitely divided views on, for example, like non-alcoholic beer, because some beers, non-alcoholic beers are completely alcohol free, but some of them have like 0.05%, some have 0.5%. Yeah. Depending on where you are in recovery, if you are an alcoholic, that's a whole different story. I don't categorize myself as an alcoholic. So yes, at the start of my recovery, drinking non-alcoholic beers, my brain would go, something's going to happen. Nowadays, I just enjoy the taste. Um, and I can, I can split those two. And some people in recovery will say, well, non-alcoholic beers are for non-alcoholics. Fair point. If, if you are an alcoholic, like born alcoholic, don't drink anything that simulates alcohol. Yeah. 
Of course, but for someone who had a crystal meth use problem and not necessarily, I was definitely a binge drinker, but I was never really a daily drinker or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's about to look at your own background and, and where your addictions and your pitfalls are. It's, yeah. it's so important. I think in the, in the current culture in which we live in, I mean, especially in this particular city, I'm sure it happens in others as well, but there is a massive culture of binge drinkers um, within this city. We know it right across the country in every city. I mean, bloody hell, they've even made TV programs about it, which is funny, but it's a kind of a shame in the way that the problem is so prolific, it becomes a TV program that also half of the nation would watch. And what I always think about is, well, you're clearly talking about something that's an issue to such a wider demographic of our community. What are you actually doing to try to help these people? Yeah. What are you doing to try to, you know, curb people's appetite? Um, and there doesn't seem to be much happening at all. If anything, they're celebrating that people get smashed and they get a bit, if I could say it, like flat out, that they get fucked up on TV. It's crazy. I remember, celebrated. I remember my first sober Christmas and I didn't realize how many alcoholic commercials there are at Christmas. No wonder people tend to relapse or yeah. really go mad with the drink at Christmas time. And people also, Christmas is difficult for a lot of people because yeah. it's not necessarily the season. It's more because there's a constant reminder if you don't have anyone you don't have close family and so on, there's something wrong with you because it's Christmas and you have to be with these people at Christmas. Well, um, I think it's, I think there's definitely something in the culture and I'm thinking not just in the gay community, but in society yeah. as a whole, yeah, that yeah. we really need to question ourselves about when it comes to social drinking, let's say. At one point when I lived in New York, before I came here, I didn't drink for two years. And there wasn't any, there was no major crisis or anything that happened in my life. I just was at a point where I just didn't want to drink. Mm. I didn't drink for two years. I didn't drink alcohol for two years. And it would be very strange to be out in New York City in a club with my little bottle of water. But what that then meant, and I mean, I was in my 20s then, and maybe, well, I was a lot more naive to it than I am now, but I didn't understand that this gave people a signal that I was A, on some kind of drugs or chems or selling them because I didn't have alcohol in my hand and because I was black, that automatically you're A, either a dealer or you're taking something. Yeah. And it used to frustrate me the amount of people that would ask if I, you know, then like, oh, are you selling X or have you got some Coke or something else? Or what are you, what are you on? If, if you have, and, I never knew that that was a sign until actually I had come to London and gone to another famous club that was in Farringdon. And then it was explained to me by somebody else, like, oh, well, this is a sign. You're in a club with water. And it basically tells everyone you're on something. And I was thinking, really, is the problem that prolific? How could I have not seen it before? And sometimes I think this is also the problem when you have people who are out and unclear, unclear-headed. Mm. Um, there is there is a whole other code that exists um, that just a lot of other people are just completely not aware of. It's very easy to miss. It's 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 funny you mention also the the people would assume because you're black you would be a dealer. It's funny I've heard that from other uh, black friends that that is an, also an issue when they go out. Also on the apps, people will just randomly contacted do you have this this and this or you will definitely be into all these things without actually having a proper conversation yeah. it, it's it it's that kind of well it's it's unconscious bias or just regular bias really it is i mean the thing that i also struggled with sometimes you know people would come to our events and they'll be like oh where can i get this i don't fucking know they're like, but you're the organizer. How can you not know? That is precisely why I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't condone it. Ask someone else. I can't tell you. I don't even know where to get it. I'm sorry. I can't help you. I don't want to know. Yeah, you, know, you do you. Absolutely. But other organizers do this. That's fine with other organizers do. I don't. 
Well, I've, I've definitely been to parties where the organizer was definitely aware of it and, and probably <laughs> utilized that as well and probably got a cut as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think when something as, as big as some of the events you are, you, you also, yeah. you need to keep yourself safe as well. You don't want to be all of a sudden buckled down with stuff like that. I mean, there's something about the culture that we live in now. And I've spoken to other organizers who always say, who, who would very freely and easily tell me, well, you know, this type of party that they're doing doesn't survive without some kind of drug circling around the, cloud, the crowd. People won't hang out, they won't party, they mm -hmm. won't have a good time. So the need to have it in order for you to produce a good party, I would say is already an issue. Well, then you kind of question right from the, the start. Party in a way, yeah. I would say. I, 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 I'm, but then again, I, I was also very much a part of that. I wouldn't have a good time if there wasn't drug taking at some point. Yeah. And, and there's definitely parties I haven't attended since I stopped because I know it's just that prolific at those parties. And yeah. it's, it's not for me where I would, for example, going to one of your parties, I, I would feel much more comfortable and much more safe. Yeah. Is, is there things going on in the corners? Probably. I would be very surprised. I would probably be one of the people sneaking things in myself. Um, but you, you can't like fucking it, stop it. It's just what yeah. it is. Um, yeah. I mean, it's one thing that I would always say to friends and people who know me, they know flat out that drug use is something I don't personally condone. I don't judge. You do you, you have a good time, you have a safe time. If you can control or manage when you're out and have a good time, great. If you lose control or you cannot manage, I suggest you find a good friend who can help you or who can at least begin to guide you or point you in the right direction to where you can go to seek help. I think it's something a lot of people don't do. Um, and I think maybe they're afraid to admit that they may be failing or that they may be disappointing people. And this mm -hmm. makes them afraid to come forward. And I think the fact that our culture is so openly judgmental of this makes it very difficult for people when they do have a problem to come out and say, look, I've got a problem. I need help. Someone help me. Um, and I understand that that is a struggle. Absolutely. Just to completely take a U-turn in the conversation, you mm. mentioned your, your, your past or your background in theater and so on. Yeah. I'm a bit curious to explore a little bit on that. Can you, can you tell a little bit about your background and how it started and how, why you moved on to doing stuff like Recon? Uh, well, I mean, the two things had absolutely nothing to do it's with each other. Such a divide. I, it's, I, I mean, I have been with the current job now for just over 15 years. It's a job I would never have imagined I would be doing. I love my job. It comes with challenges, mm -hmm. lots of challenges. I love some people. I don't love some people. Um, the problem being in the public, <laughs> the public gay fetish eye, which I, can I be mean, very judgmental. It's, it's, uh, it's very judgmental. What I sometimes find a bit challenging is the freedoms that people think that they should have. Um, this kind of self-entitlement or this aspect of self-importance. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm sorry, but who do you think you are? Why do you think that this behavior is acceptable? Yeah, And I remember once being at a party in Antwerp. I hope one of those boys is listening. Being at a party in Antwerp and somebody decided that they were going to have a strop. Right. And I, I listened to the strop at first. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? This can't happen. And I kind of let it rip. And afterwards, they, you know, were taken aback by my response because usually I'm quite mellow and I'm chilled and I'm very laid back and I'm chatty with everyone. You you're, have a problem. You're the nicest person in real life really and, and you take yeah. your time to talk to as many people as you can. Yeah. And, and, and that is so that important. That day they got to me and I think because I had reached the point of having a little snap, I'm a Taurus, so we occasionally snap, um, that I had a little snap and it was very interesting because after that, 
they were so apologetic, like, oh my God, we're really sorry. We didn't realize we were being that offensive and, you know, we'll buy you a drink. And they became very good friends after that point. It was a couple. Um, and sometimes we have to let people, we have to let people know mm. you've, crossed, you've crossed the line, take a deep breath, take a step back, think about this very carefully or go away, calm down and then come back. Or you let me go away, calm down and come back. Um, you know, I think when in my transition from dancing, I think I took my first dance lesson at 18, which is very old for a boy to begin. Mm. But it was something I think I kind of secretly wanted to do since I was quite young, but I was very determined. Um, so I was completely committed to my training. Um, I'm guessing you can say for the, if I want to cut this short, I got ahead very quickly, interviewed, got my, you know, auditioned, got my first job. Um, traveled for some years, dancing and working as well, traveled around the world. Um, I came to London in 2000, um, moved in. Uh, nine months after moving here, I got into a very prominent musical in the West End, of which I was the dance captain for six years. Um, and then I had a break from performing and then fell into working with an American producer doing an event she was doing at Wembley. And she said to me, you know, this, you're good at this kind of events thing. You should think about doing it as a career. And I thought, no way. I'm a dancer. I'm a choreographer. I'm a teacher. This will never change. I'm never giving this up. Um, but I suddenly realized in over so many years, I could have dinner at seven o'clock on a Wednesday. I could actually be sitting at home and have breakfast at 10 o'clock on a Saturday, yeah. which is something I hadn't been able to do in years. I could go to dinners and birthdays and weddings. And I thought, I kind of like these new hours. This is a new thing for me. And mm. it also gave me an opportunity to discover the city I was living in because I was on a different time schedule. Rather mm. than sleeping all day, I was actually awake and free um, that I could actually go out and explore. And that, was, that also began my love of the city of London. Um, I was at the end of a I was at the end of a very bad relationship. And I thought best thing to do as most people will do is run and hide. Yeah. So I was moving to Moscow, which is I thought the furthest I could get away from that twat <laughs> yes. and from London life as possible. And I was in Soho in Compton's having a drink in a bar. And you know, this guy said to me, oh, what are you doing? I remember you were dancing. I was like, well, I took a new job. I'm leaving London in two weeks. I'm going to Russia to escape London. and. You know, they're like, the company I work for is looking for an events manager. You should apply. And I thought, okay, I can't really lose anything. I've accepted a job. I'm leaving. Um, I sent in the application the next morning. I'd never heard about recon before. Never heard of it. Never seen it anywhere before. Um, were you, were you, were you, can I ask, were you kinky before you sent the application? Or did that come with the job? <laughs> well, I think I may have, like, dipped my... My toenail, my toenail, and not even the whole toe, my toenail once or twice because I had other kinky friends. So it was kind of general, like, oh, let's go out and let's hang out and have a good time and do something. So it was okay, but it was not me. I, if people, people who know me from before would know that I'm always the very, I had this conversation with someone yesterday. People don't realize I'm a very preppy, clean cut kind of guy, just with a slightly kinky twist on the side. Um, and that will never change. Just a little boop. Um, you know, so I remember they called me in for the interview on the Thursday after the Thursday I went in, had an interview. It lasted about an hour and 45 minutes, two hours, 40 minutes later, they called me and they said, we'd love to offer you the job working as the events manager for the company. And if you take it, your first task is to book a flight in a hotel and meet us in Berlin tomorrow for Folsom Europe. And this was before Folsom Europe 2006. This wow. is when Folsom was the very first weekend of September at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So it was literally a baptism by fire for me. You know, I got to Berlin and talk about eyes wide open. You know, it was a scene I'd never experienced or seen before. And I thought, I think I could do this very well. <laughs> and, and that was the beginning of the end of the story. Well, that's, that's, that's amazing. It's, it's just such a career twist and and when you mentioned the dates i'm i'm uh, you were very discreet in what production you were in and i'm not going to mention it because i know which <laughs> production it was but i think i might have seen you because you i went to have. see that production in 2003 yeah i would have been so, there so you were probably in there so i've probably seen you perform without knowing <laughs> uh, but yeah it's 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 quite fun when when you kind of have that 
switch um, yeah. in, 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 in trajectory in, in your life. Where with me, I've always been into fetish. I started when I was 22 and I've always kind of been, I, I had my first leather waistcoat when I was 13. Um, uh, my mom bought it for me for my confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> I love your mom. Wait a minute. Talk well, about I, mom's buying. And, Wait a minute. My and, mom bought my favorite trainers. My yeah, mom bought yeah, yeah, yeah. these. I love her for getting me these. Oh, do you know what? When, when I had my mom over here in, in London for the first time, the, it's, it's, I'm not discreet in my flat. It's, it's a mixture of geeky stuff and fetish stuff. You can, well, yeah. you can see there. So, um, and my boyfriend at the time was like, he really wanted something to happen because I have a big, huge ass metal dog cage in my living room. And my boyfriend's like, have you seen it? Have you seen it? My mom's reaction was, and so what? He was so non-phased by it. I love that. Um, so yeah, I have, a, I have a really good relationship with my mom and there's no secrets. Of course, I don't, I don't go into details, but yeah. she knows about my lever and she knows, she knows I'm very happy with the set of langlets I bought because I saved up for so long. I've told her about it. So, and she's, she's like, how much did you spend? She's oh, completely... details not necessary. I mean, <laughs> the, the interesting thing about it is when I first, started this job and I came like into this world and started discovering and exploring and then other people I knew from before that met me they were like how can you do a job like this how can you work with this are you into these kinds of crazy things when are you going to get a real job um sorry what do you mean when am I going to get a real job but it was a question I got asked very much and I think it's because for so many people this is a social pastime for them yeah. and they would never imagine it as something that someone could actually do professionally. Mm. Um, and I have to say my job just definitely comes with the challenges, but I love my job. I get to travel a lot and I get to meet some really amazing people. I get to meet some assholes as well, but I get to meet some really fantastic people. And I'm really happy that I've made such amazing friends in other places across the world that I've traveled to for work. So having this job has opened up other doors and friendships and avenues for me as well. And I will never turn that down. I have absolutely zero regrets about it. Zero. It's, it's the same I feel like when I did the title stuff, I've had friendships since then, uh, doing the sober fetish stuff now as well. I've made friendships through that. And I have zero regrets of being as open and honest as I have been. And I yeah. think it's still important. Um, for me, it's more of like, if I just make a change in one person's life, that's the important bit. Yeah. It's not it's not adoration. It's not how many followers I, I have on here. It always helps because the bigger follow platform you have, the more people I can reach. But yeah. it, that is not the main focus. It's never been my main focus. And if it all of a sudden becomes a focus from me, that's just a sign I have need to step back a little bit. Yeah, completely. Um, I mean, it's, it's, um, I did an interview a while back. You know, we also publish a magazine and I did an interview in the magazine we had, which was our issue three. And one of the things I talked about was people like ourselves who are quite public facing in the scene, in this community. And when you are public facing and you're given a platform, you should really think about what you do with it mm. because it does matter and people are watching. And one of the things I said in this interview was I want people to be able to use their platform for good, for the good of the community. And I think sometimes people don't understand how healing this can also be just for themselves, you know, or for the people that they know, the people that they're closest to. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really important. Can I just give a shout out very quickly to Stephen, who's watching and talking about the claw bus. I was um, about to ask, can you please elaborate on that? Stephen has yeah. said, Antoine, I remember the costume change and the party bus at Claw. Kept spill the beans. What's that about? This is, um, Claw is an event that happens in Ohio. It's the Cleveland Leather Awareness Weekend. And it usually happens at the end of April. That. This Awareness year started the pandemic. Weekend. It sounds like it's cool. It's, I mean, it's incredible. I think, you know, people always would, um, think of Cleveland, it's, it's nicknamed quite sadly, the mistake by the lake. 
But it's really a fantastic city. Good food. There are good sports teams. There's lots of jazz and blues around the city. It's actually really nice. It was all in an all industrial U.S. city. And I know it really well because in the early 80s, I had a boyfriend that was from the suburbs. So I've spent quite a bit of time traveling in the area as well. But then years later, I get to go back. Um, for work and during this claw event they have a party bus and the bus is like a nighttime sightseeing they sightsee around the, the, the city they visit other like landmarks and historical points and there are stop-offs at some bars and clubs and to meeting other leather groups and or fetish groups and associations along the way um, and I have always been a fan of having multiple outfits when I can if you have ever been to a recon sports party, you know that I change outfits at least two or three times during the party. Yeah. And on my first time on this claw bus, I thought, well, I clearly have to bring more than one outfit. And very often we were at a location and I was like, wait, I would run away and come back to the bus in something totally different. And I think people had a complete gag with it. We laughed about it for years. And so every year that was my running thing. Every time we made a stop, I would go run away, change, come back. So Well, well why not? Why, why, why is the only people on stage doing a concert that get their costume changes? Why can't finish yeah. men do that as well? Absolutely. So the performer in me never stopped. The costume changes still carry on. I mean, if I could now, I'd run away and throw something else on and come back really quickly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different platform if you stay on camp, I would say. That, we have to move over to the OnlyFans, then we can uh, our cam four. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, so, so thank you, Stephen, for reminding me about that. Oh, really good fun time. I think that's a wonderful story. So, so with the job you've done and so on in the last... What would you said? How long have you been doing this job now? 15 years and a 15 bit. Years. Yeah, um, 15 years and a bit. What, what, what's the, I, I probably, there's going to be a lot of stories, but what was the best experience you've had and maybe the worst experience you've had? I know that's a loaded question. You don't have to answer the last one if you can't. I think... I've had a number of very good experiences and also bad experiences at some, and sometimes it's maybe, let's say at the same event, say hi to Jeff. It's at the same event. Hi Jeff. You know, it's always great when we are organizing something and people come out and you can see people having a really, really good time. I think one of the best or really liberating experiences I've had was doing an event in San Francisco. And it was a year we used an Asian guy on our advertising for the very first time. Yeah, and I think I was we, there. We, was that 2012? I think might have been 2012. We had Yoshi Kawasaki on our advertising for the event. Beautiful. And Beautiful. it was, I mean, we've talked about this story so much. And I think that's because it gave us such a good feeling um, in people recognizing that we made a leap across the divide. We kind of like broke a barrier and did something that even though there was such a large Asian community in that city, it seemed to be something that they themselves had never done. You know, people told us, you can't use this ad. It's not what, you know, what the fetish people look like in this city. And I'm thinking, but these people live in your city and they come out, so it must be right, mm. you know? Um, you know, and. Uh, if I can try to make it brief, you know, an Asian guy turns up in his car and he has the ad in his hand in the magazine and he goes, people like this can really come to this party. And I remember Sandy and I were standing out front of the building and we're like, you know, Sandy told him like, yes, people can. And he got on the phone, doo, 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 called up, two limousines pulled up and a whole sea of other Asian guys got out and was like, this is amazing. We have fucking done our jobs well. We have broken a barrier, a divide. And I think it's one of the things we want to do. We always talk about how welcoming and opening our community is. And sometimes we have to create this openness and this welcoming. Mm -hmm. And some, and it's realizing that something as simple as an advert, as a, the ad you put out, the marketing that you put out can really affect, can really have a profound effect on so many other people. And if we don't pay attention to this, we leave people marginalized and outside of our little opening an all welcoming fetish community, it then becomes rather exclusive rather than inclusive. Mm -hmm. So it's something that I think we have from that point 
really focused on making sure we think about very clearly in just about everything that we do. But that moment for me was really uplifting. It was a very happy, happy moment for me. I'm thinking one of my worst moments was at uh, an event we did in Belgium some years ago. And I think it's quite interesting. People may not be aware because here in London, we come from a culture where you come out, there's a security check, there's a bag check, you go to the mm-hmm. detectors, the scanners, they search everything. But then I, we were told, well, that can't happen here because it's illegal to search people here. Oh, I thought that's interesting. So no bag searches, no security pat downs. There's security there, but they're basically not doing anything. Mm. People go in. Somebody has an episode, has an overdose, and so the ambulance must be called. The guy's partner is skitzing, completely frantic and skitzing because he's mm. off his tits. Yeah, yeah. The guy's on the ground, passed out, the ambulance arrives. And when you stand back, what, are, what I think people may not also realize is if the ambulance is coming, automatically the police is also coming. Yeah. And if you're caught with something, you will be arrested. So it was interesting to see people also trying to search the guy's pockets to take the things away, which is also very bad because if they don't know what he's taken, then they don't really necessarily know how to help him. So that was one bad sign. But when you stand and you watch the paramedics try to revive someone and they get the long syringe out and pour charcoal down someone's throat to get them to vomit and you see that long syringe with the adrenaline being stabbed into someone's heart, it's something that would it would make you think, why the fuck would anybody want this in their lives? Why would you want this to happen? If you see this happen once, I promise you, you never touch any shit again. It, and I think it was probably my worst moment at an event ever. Just watching that happen. Thankfully, the guy, they were able to save him. Mm. Um, and he was resuscitated. But, you know, and it was interesting to leave, go back to London and still like checking up some days later to make sure that the guy was okay, Mm. you know, but his friends disappeared. His friends ran off and left him. The boyfriend was schizophrenic. The friends left him. And I'm thinking, why would I, why would you ever want to put yourself in this position? I mean, I'm a control freak. People who know me will know that I'm a complete control freak. (laughs) And I don't deny that either. I'm a control freak. I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm not in control of my faculties or control of my, my self-awareness. Mm. I, I won't ever jeopardize that if I can help it. You know, without a safe word, it's not happening. Absolutely. I always, I always, big red flag if I'm talking to a sub online. It's like, I, I'm into everything. You could do whatever you want. It's like, well, what's the safe word? And they go, I don't want a safe word. Then we're not playing. Yeah, no. There then needs to be no some option. sort of yeah. safe word. It's, it's of course up to you if you want to use it or not, but also it's also down to whoever's dominating to actually read the person as well. Even yeah. if they're not saying the safe word, the master is also responsible. But it, it's, yeah. it's such a big red flag for me. Um, yeah, huge. <clears throat> it's, here's, one of the things I'm currently doing is uh, I'm working on the editing and posting of articles and things that people submit to us. And I was reading one the other day, which actually is going out next week. And it's on the fantasy versus the reality of submission. Yes. Um, And one of the things that's mentioned in it also is the the need of safe words and also whether or not people really understand what... no off limits actually means or no limits actually means. Um, And I think very often, especially younger people who may be new to the scene may not be aware of really how important limitations actually are. I mean, you can have, you can have this probably sound a bit odd, but you can have no limitations within the limitations you set. So you will set your boundaries and you will set your terms of play beforehand. You know exactly beforehand, this, this, and this is out. Mm. Everything else that we discuss in this parameters, free. No limitations within this boundary. And I think that's where people need to really distinguish and understand what safer play means to them. And this also comes back to 
having real clear play, you can only, I think, really achieve this and experience this well. If you go into this clear-headed and you're alert and you're aware and you're sober, then you are completely aware of, you can see the boundaries, you're aware of the boundaries, you're aware of the limitations. The other person also knows that you're aware. There's communication that's happening between the two of you. Um, it could be it's, very it's, dangerous when it doesn't happen. It's, it's also important, especially if you're talking to someone on Grindr, wherever, whatever platform, and you're kind of edging each other with saying like, writing a bit kinky stuff to each other, and you get yeah. excited. And, and when you get excited, your brain goes that way. And it, yeah. you're not thinking straight. So sometimes clear headed also means have a wank and then have discussion. Because there's certain things you might think you're into in the moment, but as soon as you've come, all of a sudden it's like, you don't want to have a sub or a master that panics. Yeah. yeah. Because all of a sudden it's like, oh, what, I'm, what the fuck am I doing? And, and, and it's, it's so important. I've definitely had subs online just like, I wanted to do this. and It's like, go and have a wank and then we can talk afterwards. Yeah. Because Release that tension, get rid of that excitement, come back to me when you're clear thinking and let's have a chat at this point. And, and I'm, I can be equally as bad because I, I, my brain goes when I'm horny you know? <laughs> and that's fine. That I, it, well. it's, it's fine for a while, but you kind of need to have a look. It is like, do I really want to do this? Especially, I can tell you, some days I've got a very good imagination and the cold shower is needed. Absolutely. To bring you back down to reality. Get grounded, have a cold shower, get grounded. And then let's have this conversation again. Uh, Banjo is being uh, cheeky because uh, Banjo is uh, a mutt from um, from Manchester, I know, and he I, he's on a cum ban at the moment from me, so that's why he's writing that. Uh. It's during that, so <laughs> he's already had two wet dreams this month, and I'm very angry about it. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, you can't really control that. No, so. I'm fully aware of that. That's fine. But I'm still yeah. punishing. I've, I've, like I said, cold showers. I have made him take cold shower, showers. Hopefully that will help. But he is seeing me next week. So maybe some of that tension will go away after next weekend. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> so it's a new year. So mm -hmm. what, how, what's, what's, my, I didn't even start the podcast by saying Happy New Year to you. Uh, Happy New Year. Yeah, amazing. Uh, I almost don't want to say, well, it can only be better than last year. Uh, Let's see. <laughs> it doesn't look like it, to be honest. Yet to be decided. <laughs> Yet to be decided at this point. So what, what's the year looking like for you? Um, Fetish-wise, uh, private-wise, like, what, what's the plans on this year? I mean, well, it's really interesting. I don't want to think doom and gloom. I'm definitely yeah, I'm much more a, a positive thinking person. I'd like to think that I am most of the time. I always look for the good. And I am really hoping that this year is going to be a much better one for everybody. Yeah. I mean, we've just had to cancel our big event for January 2nd. Um, I think everybody probably understands why we did it. It was a very good decision. I'm not sorry that I made the decision to cancel it. I think it was the right one. But at the same time, we are, the team is busy. We are making preparations for the rest of the year coming ahead. So we have a really good timeline that's out of things that we'd like to do. Um, and if it all goes to plan without any kind of lockdowns or any other further restrictions, we will start our first event for 2022 in February. Um, of course, we would always advise for people to decide whatever they think is best for them, if they want to come out yeah. or not, um, practice whatever safety precautions they think are right for them. Um, and that's also because we know that venues and other places don't all have the same structure of guidelines yeah. or restrictions in place. So it's really about thinking about what's best for you. And also, you, nowadays, you must also consider what's best for the other people that are going to be there. Because if you're testing positive, you should stay home, you shouldn't be out and about on the streets. And it's really yeah. like the end the end there's there's no second guessing this so at the moment it's like full steam ahead plans for events coming this year we're really keeping our fingers toes everything else is my balls are crossed you know <laughs> that everything else will come off and this I, will be a i have a very year. visual mind after you said that this is i was like yeah i can see that <laughs> one two <laughs> you know i i'm really hopeful 
it, it's been two years since we've had one of our normal big parties mm. and I miss it. I miss my friends and I miss seeing people and I miss seeing the joy on people's faces when they're out of one of our events as well. And I think a lot of people do as well. You know, these, these events are not just always about play, but there is also a massive social element to it. And I think it's going to be really important to be able to get back to where we can connect with people in these open public spaces again much more safely than we have been able to do previously. Um, you know, we made plans for 2019. It was a fantastic year. We made plans for 2020 and suddenly we realized we had to cancel everything, yeah. which was beyond heartbreaking. Going into 2021, we knew it would more than likely be a shit year. So we decided not to do very much at all, but we made a plan, let's do our cabaret in October and our party at the end of December. Cabaret October, brilliant. December, shit, we had to cancel. And it's like, okay, now that that's behind us, let's be forward thinking about what's coming up. So we're planning for a cabaret in February. We have another party the 8th of April. We will hopefully be going to Berlin at Easter. Darklands in May. Manchester in June, Fetish Week London in July, yeah. August holiday. So I have a very busy first part of the year. Trust me. August holiday. When the dates came out for, for June and Fetish Week, I was just like, yes. And it's nice because it's local as well. It just makes fucking life easier because yes. it's expensive traveling. And also with it like, is. Traveling, traveling around. Yeah. With, it's not just the flights now, it's the fucking testing. Um, at this point, it, it's 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 expensive, um, so I'm I'm very excited, and I also want to talk to you outside this about that because we have had discussions about either sober or socials or sober play parties uh, for Fetish Week because I think that's important to engage with, or, yeah. or at least some sort of engagement from real clear fetish. It's it's important because it's this is where I'm based. So and if Fetish Week happens this year, we're going to make it happen. Absolutely, absolutely. I've said it today. We're gonna make it happen. Yes, I'm happy. I'm, I'm applauding my little other hands. Yeah. Uh, we are, we are actually coming to the end of our time. Um, but it's absolutely been a joy to have you on. Before we end the the, the episode, uh, if anyone has listened to something of the stuff you've said and they really resonated with them, is there any way they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. I mean, I'm always happy. It's one of the things I talked about even like on the podcast I recorded yesterday. I'm always very chatty. I talk to everyone, almost everyone. I'm always happy to talk. So message me, say hi, let's have a conversation. If it's going to be work-related, then I can very easily move this into a professional channel if it needs be, mm -hmm. rather than people inundating my, um, my private social profiles. However, it's a great point for an initial discussion. Reach out, say hi, ask questions. If I know the answers, I'm happy to help. If I don't, I'll try and find out for you and then get back. Which, which channels are the best ones? Uh, Instagram? Um, I guess my Instagram or the Twitter, it's the same. And I have the same handle, AJFS71. Very easy. I use the same thing across the board. My recon profile is also the same. So it's very easy. There's no confusion, no other letters or numbers or anything else. AJFS71 reach out, say hi. If you need help, I will try. Or I point you in the right direction to somebody who can much better help you than I can. You can always point them in my direction if they need anything help with that. So yeah, that's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah. So thank you for coming on. It's been such a fun chat, um, covering all sorts of things. Um, thank you for having me. That's been really great. I mean, it's also the first time I've geared up in a while. I haven't geared up in ages. Well, that's why so I wanted nice to be like, Ooh, okay. To, to be honest, I got this Langlitz outfit last year. And it just became a very expensive door ornament for a while. <laughs> it's it's yeah. as much as I love wearing it, it's not the most comfortable fucking outfit to have on at home. Uh, oh, so, about it. so it's just like, it's better to yeah. have a, a reason to put it on. Um, this is why I like rubber, super comfy, super flexible. I have a couple of rubber outfits I need to try out as well. I have a transparent uh, rubber apron and a full rubber suit, which I think I might wear for the recon party in April. I'll be looking forward to that. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for, very much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. See you later. See you Bye. later.
And that was Antoine. It was absolutely joy to have him on. This is the last episode of season three. I will have a break, uh, have a rethink, and see what I will do in the future. Um, yeah, just a nice break for me, and then. I might do some off-cut lives on here just to have a chat and hang out in gear. So have a great new year and keep kinky, keep safe. Um, yeah, have fun. Bye.